St. Martin de Porres once said, everything, even sweeping, scraping vegetables, weeding a garden, and waiting on the sick could be a prayer if it were offered to God. Welcome to the 31st episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want you to know when you feel like you can't even bring yourself to pray, you can reach out to God in other ways, ways that may seem insignificant, but ways that draw you close to him in your darkness. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, Anonymous came by with a question that I'm sure all of us have had in one way or another. I'm a graduate student in a clinical psychology doctoral program, and I'm currently in my first year of practicum working as a trainee therapist. I don't disclose much to my clients, so none of them know that I'm Catholic. I was curious on your opinion of what to do on Ash Wednesday when my religion will be very prominent to my clients. I'm planning on asking my supervisor this question, but as she is not Catholic, I wanted to hear another opinion. I don't want to remove the ashes, but I can also see how this inadvertent disclosure could be problematic for some of my clients. This is such an important question. I'm so happy you sent it along. Now, I should start with the note that it's been over 15 years since I've been in grad school, and I'm guessing things have thankfully changed a bit. But when I was in school, there was a teaching that was crammed into our heads over and over again. When you walk into that office to do therapy, you have to leave yourself at the door, leave behind your likes and dislikes, leave behind your culture and faith, leave behind the problems that have been troubling you lately, because you need to be a blank slate of unconditional positive regard for the person you're working with. And anything you carry with you into the room will lead to them feeling unvalidated and judged. Then you actually become a therapist and try to work within that rule only to realize it absolutely does not work. For starters, it's impossible. You cannot leave yourself at the door. You bring everything with you into every situation in your life, therapy included. It's not like you can take off all of your experiences, culture, and ideas of how the world works and hang them like a hat on a hat rack right before you walk in to do therapy. And that's actually a good thing, despite what my grad school curriculum taught me. Because if there's one thing you need to make therapy work, to make the relationship become a vehicle for growing in wellness, it's authenticity. It's being your true self with the person you're working with. That's how the magic happens. That's where they learn they can trust you and know that you're actually engaging with them from a place of caring about them and not just because it's a job. Now, this doesn't mean that we should shine the spotlight on ourselves or our life. We always have to make sure that the spotlight is fixed squarely on the person we're working with and that anything we share about ourselves is directed at helping them move forward. So thinking about wearing your ashes with all of that in mind, I think it would be a positive thing to sport your ashes on Ash Wednesday because it shows that you are being your authentic self and willing to be vulnerable in front of those that you're working with. I really also think that therapists showing that they have a spiritual dimension to them is something a lot of people appreciate because most of them have a spiritual dimension after all, and sometimes it feels like it gets ignored in therapy. So keep on keeping on and let us know when you become licensed. On to the next topic. If you're like me, you know that God loves you unconditionally, but that intellectual understanding doesn't seem to help with getting over the sense that God is dissatisfied with us, and this is especially true during times of spiritual dryness. I think a lot about how this struggle impacts my faith journey, my mental health, and how or if I can push through it. God loves me. He wants me to be saved and to get to heaven and to be with him for all eternity, and yet I'm a miserable wretch of a person that I can't really imagine him being happy with me. 
First, it's important to note that this thought of God being dissatisfied with us is a projection of our own insecurities onto God, and that's the place where we need to start working. We don't like ourselves. We tend to think that we are generally unlovable. We try to get better, and we fall over and over again, and then we conclude that God possibly can't be happy with us. I've tried to work on this, tried to work on allowing myself to feel loved by God, but it's hard. Negativity rears its ugly head over and over again despite my efforts, but what I have to stop and honestly realize is that this feeling comes from me and me alone. God's ways are not my ways. His way of loving is incomprehensibly different than my way of loving. His assessment of me and where I am on the path to him is so different from my own fallen assessment, and I have no choice but to trust in him, trust in the love I hear about again and again in scripture. It can kind of be easy to see this situation as one of those common truth doesn't care about your feelings kind of thing, but as you know, I really don't believe in that idea, or at least as it's commonly presented. God cares about our feelings. He wants us to feel his peace and his love and his desire for us to be with him. And I think we have to do two things at least to start down the path to getting there. One, be willing to accept him at his word and fall into his loving arms in an act of surrender and complete abandonment. And two, start learning to love ourselves better. Start learning to accept the good things that come to us, the loving people we have in our lives, because we might not ever be able to feel God's love unless we can figure out how to love ourselves first. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Requests, and today I'm here to share a little bit about St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, Edith Stein. Born in Germany in October of 1891, Edith Stein grew up in an observant Jewish family, the youngest of 11 children, and was actually born on Yom Kippur, just as a little foreshadowing of the holiness she was to shine forth for all of us. She went on to university, but her studies were interrupted by the outbreak of World War I. She volunteered as a Red Cross nun before coming back to finish her studies and earn her doctorate in philosophy summa cum laude. Then in 1921, she picked up an autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila and found found herself converting to the Catholic faith months later. She immediately sought uh, entry into religious life and became a discalced Carmelite in 1933. In 1942, she was actually captured by the Nazis and eventually sent to Auschwitz. Interestingly, a Dutch official at the concentration camp she was put in prior to Auschwitz was astonished by her calm and offered her a chance to escape, but she refused, stating, If somebody intervened at this point and took away my chance to share in the fate of my brothers and sisters, that would be utter annihilation. She was killed in a gas chamber with her sister and many others just months later. I bring up Edith Stein not only because she's an incredible and holy woman, but because she also experienced a bitter and intense depression. She was once quoted as saying, I gradually worked myself into real despair. I could no longer cross the street without wishing that a car would run over me and I would not come out alive. And this depression combined with what most of us commonly know of our life gives me real hope that there's always something waiting for us in our despair, in our darkness, and it encourages me and hopefully you too to keep putting one foot in front of the other no matter how dark things get. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer, so here we go. O Prince of Peace, to all who receive you, your bright light and peace, help me to live in daily contact with you, listening to the words you have spoken and obeying them. 
O divine child, I place my hands in yours. I shall follow you. O let your divine life flow into me. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. First up, Martin is here with a question about shame. Is it a social emotion? Can it be confused with anxiety? Can it be controlled when it becomes your baseline? Thanks for sending this our way, Martin. And let's start by praying for Martin and all of us who try to navigate life with a deep sense of shame that seems to follow us like a black cloud. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Interestingly, or at least I find it interesting, the word shame only appears in the catechism once, and it's to note that our baptism takes away our shame. And yet there's some cultural idea that to be Catholic means to be filled with guilt and shame and those things that we, for those things that we have done and for those things that we failed to do. And yet Christ came to free us of our shame, as the catechism hints at. And if we're to truly be living in Christ, we should be living a life of freedom rather than a life of anxiety and shame. It's too bad our fallen human nature makes it so hard to do so. Shame most definitely can be confused with anxiety, or maybe more precisely, our thoughts of shame can be a trigger for our anxiety, and it can all happen so fast that it feels like the same thing, the same feeling. Some of us have a baseline level of shame and anxiety that we learn to function with, but it's important to try to keep working toward relief and peace that Christ so desperately wants us to experience. So let's take a look at some tips from the fine folks at Psychology Today that I have found helpful in moving the dial toward wellness and away from shame with some editorializing from me. First, be open and honest about unwarranted sources of shame. Give your life a real examination. Next, decide what you're going what you're not going to allow to get to you any longer. Sometimes it can be easier to give up an emotional fight in our heads by deciding we're not going to let it get to us rather than trying to actively battle the thought, which can often come to it becoming uh, make it become more entrenched. So for example, I'm not going to let the fact that I was a disappointment to my parents get to me anymore. When I feel shame about this, I'm going to remind myself that I was doing my best at the time. Some things were beyond my control and I'll take a few deep, slow breaths and reset. Next, be willing to give up on a goal and allow yourself to stop feeling shame over not achieving that goal. Give yourself freedom instead of continuing to chase after something that you might not have the wherewithal to achieve right now. Decide what you're not responsible for and stop feeling shame over it. You don't have to engage in excess responsibility taking. And finally, actively forgive yourself for past mistakes. This is a big one. When Jesus commands us to forgive, that includes forgiving ourselves. So hang in there, Martin. Next, Bethany stopped by. I have recently confronted how much I feel that I have to take care of my mom, manage her anxiety, and basically mother my mother. I'm 36, and she's in good health for context. This began in childhood but continues to this day. What are some resources that may be helpful uh, to help me in learning a new relationship pattern and or establishing boundaries for my own health? And as a new convert to Catholicism, I'm just beginning to understand Mary as my mother and wonder if there's any help out there. Thanks, Bethany. Let's all stop what we're doing and join in prayer for Bethany and her mother and their relationship that Mary may intercede to bring the peace and grace that only her son can provide. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. 
To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First of all, Bethany, I'd like to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you were put in this position as a child, and I'm sorry that you continue to be put in this position now as an adult. It wasn't fair then, and it isn't fair now. Let's take a look at a couple tips from Psych Central with quite a bit of editorializing from me again that I think are incredibly helpful and a great resource for you and anyone who finds themselves in this situation. First, seek professional help. I think getting involved in therapy to help you work through this, especially since it's been going on for so long, is a great place to start. Being able to share your feelings with an objective outside observer who can provide a different way of looking at things and help you find some insight in the enmeshment can really be a great place to begin. Next, set small boundaries. <clears throat> Sometimes we want to do a wholesale change from an unhealthy relationship that has taken decades to get where it's at. And this can often lead to a huge emotional reaction. And either the whole thing falls apart in a way that's difficult to cope with, or we end up backing down so that we can return to the relationship that's been driving us nuts in the first place. So setting something small like from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., I need to spend time with myself, my family, get good rest, etc., and I'm not going to be able to take phone calls during that time. That could be a great place to start if that's what's going on and slowly start increasing the size of the boundaries and goals moving forward. Last, create connections with yourself and others. Sometimes we find ourselves in these relationships and see that it has cost us our relationships with ourselves, our friends, and other important people in our lives. Sometimes we can pull ourselves out of relationships like this, at least to a healthy level, and find that we have nothing to go to. We have wrapped our identity up in this relationship so much and have nothing left. So as we start to set boundaries, it's important to start building those other connections back up so we have something healthy to transition to. And this can be something as simple as learning to be alone with ourselves again. And I should say here that the goal is to create a new healthy relationship, not completely cut the relationship off. So it's important to keep in mind, uh, to keep that in mind when you're setting boundaries, to know that you're heading toward that goal. You mentioned you're a new convert to Catholicism, and that's just so absolutely beautiful. And 100% yes, our relationship with the Blessed Virgin Mary can be a powerful resource for us when we find ourselves in difficult situations. I guess what I want to say is that you shouldn't blame yourself for being in this situation. It isn't your fault. If anything, it's because you're an incredibly loving and compassionate person, and that's a great thing. But reaching out to Mary as your mother and asking for her help in navigating this situation with your earthly mother might be a powerful way forward. Trust her. Trust that she will get her son to guide you and know that we'll be praying for you. Ador wraps us up. Could you talk about lifespan integration? I've been doing LI for almost a year as a treatment for complex PTSD, and I'm wondering if it's okay to do LI as a Catholic. So this is exciting because I get to do some research and look into lifespan integration to help provide some insights here. I love learning new things, and I really love sharing them with all of you. So straight from the LI website, let's learn together. Lifespan integration is a new therapy which was developed during the first decade of the 21st century and that relies on the innate ability of the body-mind to heal itself. There are many different LI protocols. Some protocols heal birth trauma and are pre-verbal trauma, and others heal attachment deficits, which may have 
occur during specific stages of development. All protocols include repetitions of a timeline of memories and images. Viewing repetitions of one's life review both integrates past experiences and proves to the client body-mind system that time has passed. In lifespan integration therapy, clients move forward or their movement forward in time is done visually in such a way that clients watch multiple movies, quote unquote, of their lives. Each movie is a different rendition of the same life story. Different themes emerge, which are accompanied by new insights. These movies are spontaneously generated by the client's unconscious minds. A little bit more. Lifespan integration is a very gentle method, which works on a deep neural level to change pattern responses and outmoded defensive strategies. LI therapy helps people connect unpleasant feelings and dysfunctional patterns with the memories of the past events from which these feelings and strategies originated. Making these connections at a deep level of the body-mind resets the neural system so that it is more in line with the current life situation. Okay, so me again. I want to uh, be sure to say if you're involved in LI therapy and finding that it brings you healing and peace from the trauma caused by complex PTSD, I say great. But to be fair here, there isn't a lot of research into the effectiveness of LI, given it is so new. So it's hard to say one way or the other if it is better, the same, or worse than cognitive behavioral therapy or another modality of talk therapy alone. One study I found at a Northwestern University suggested that two sessions of LI therapy with women in a shelter specializing in chemical dependency provided relief from their symptoms related to the trauma, but it's clear that there needs to be quite a bit more research done to see how it shakes down in comparison to the other modalities I mentioned above. In terms of engaging in LI therapy as a Catholic, I can't completely say, only because I don't have enough information about the actual interventions to decide, but if I had to make an educated guess, I'd say it shouldn't be problematic. <clears throat> if LI is mostly replaying past events to help come to terms with them, changing the movies in our heads to better integrate our experience, I don't see anything wrong with that from a Catholic standpoint. On the other hand, if the interventions are more connected to replaying movies having some sort of power over the universe, or like literally changing what happened, or attracting positivity through the power of our thoughts in a way that asserts some kind of godlike control over certain forces swirling around us, maybe. But so long as we're staying focused on trying to challenge the thoughts and feelings we're left with after trauma and working to integrate healthier thoughts to free us from our symptoms, I wouldn't see a problem at all. May God continue to walk with you as you continue to work through all of this. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourselves to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna. <laughs>